Hello, hello, hello. It's nice to see you to see you nice. Welcome once again to Play Your Pods, right? My name is Steve, and joining me as ever landing the plane is Simon. Simon, how are you, mate? I am tickety-boo as always, my good friend. Yourself? Ah, uh, not too shabby, not too shabby. Or as my, my old area manager used to say, not three bad. So I'm one better than not too bad. You're worse than four off. <laughs> that's true, that's true. But we do have a very special guest with us today. Crossing the finish line of the obstacle course is the host of Cerebral Jukebox and Shipwrecked and Comatose, a Red Dwarf podcast. It's Carl Bryan. Carl, how are you, mate? I am not too bad, not too bad. Thank you very much for having me. Beautiful. So tell us a little bit about yourself, Carl, and like your your kind of relationship <laughs> with game shows and everything. Oh, I watched a lot of game shows as they coming through. I definitely watched the Krypton Factor uh, coming through. Say when uh, this podcast came out, it was great to revisit a lot of shows I watched, especially Cluedo. Mm-hmm. Con- considering on a podcast I used to do, half of an episode was taken up between me and my co-host arguing whether Cluedo existed or not. And I managed to prove it by calling somebody else who was in a pub and they asked around the room and went, yeah, wasn't that hosted by Chris Tarrant? It was like, yes, yes. <laughs> so that and Nightmare as well, definitely. Yeah, excellent. So, and they're all uh, in the archives for you, ready to ready to listen to, and both oh, yes. of which actually feature Mark. So Mark, yes. Uh, but this week we're here to talk about the ultimate test of every synapse of the brain with the Krypton Factor. Oh my goodness, gentlemen! What is what are your memories of this? Start with Simon. Oh, I mean, it's just classic TV. It's uh, same as you guys grew up watching it. I think it was a Saturday night, if I remember correctly, on ITV. It was a Monday. Was it a Monday? Oh, yeah. On a school night as well. I know. Just something I've always enjoyed. Yeah, Carl. I rem- I was taken aback. I swore that this was an hour back in the day but they plow through it don't they oh yeah i i remember it very well i mean where we are in sort of well in derbyshire say so we're not too far from the site of the old american adventure theme park and i always used to remember that uh, the young krypton factor assault course was in the american adventure theme park but you can't go on it but yeah. you can see it which is a as a kid who watched the krypton factor a lot was torturous <laughs> But yeah, the, the main thing from this that I took is it's only 25 minutes. Mm-hmm. And it was just was like six rounds. And it was as we were going through, and we'll talk about it as we go through, they just rattle it off to the point where it's almost flippant. This yeah. test of mental and physical agility, just quick, get it done. Get it. <laughs> and an ad break. Yeah. Well, it, I mean, it was something I was going to bring up, but in the early days, it didn't actually have an ad break, which was very unique for an ITV show. They just yeah. had an extended ad break afterwards because they just wanted to get through it kind of thing. But it was originally aired on the 7th of September, 1977. It was devised by a gentleman called Jeremy Fox, who I couldn't find any info on. Your hosts were Gordon Burns from 1977 to 1995. And then in 1995, they brought in co-host Penny Smith, which was... I- very strange I remember time that. for the show. I remember that era. Yeah. And then it was brought back in 2009 until 2010 with Ben Shepard at the helm. It was quite ill-fated. Yeah, I did watch an episode of that after I watched this episode just to see what the comparison was. I'll chat about that in a bit. But, uh, <laughs> I don't remember the Penny Smith era, but if I'm right, Penny Smith was like early GMTV host. Yeah, yeah, she was. And it was one of those, like, we've got her under contract, let's just put her on everything kind of 
kind yeah. of thing, wasn't it? We need to use her. Yeah. Pretty much like what they're doing with Schofield these days, but... <laughs> Man's a legend. Yeah, for sure. The but... Silver Fox. <laughs> the basic format of the Crypt, in fact, for those who've never seen it, the main thing that always astounded me, as Carl said, is how much they crammed into half an hour. So first up, you had the mental agility, which was contestants would have to perform lateral thinking, mental gymnastics tasks, be it maths or puzzles, such as memorizing a row of color blocks and ask things like, what is the color of the block two from the left and the block to the right of the green and so on? Like really obtuse fucking things. Like, I mean, we'll get into it down the line, but like this one, like you were given a phrase and you had to rattle off individual letters from it and things like that. It was just really taxing stuff. I mean... I do a lot of word games. I've got like the official countdown app on my phone. I do a lot of crosswords and I kind of pride myself on the fact I can think quite quickly. But the first round of this this episode, it was only when the third contestant went up that I wasn't thinking like, oh, I'm thick as pig shit. (laughs) (laughs) Your second round was response. And this started as a Fleischmann test where contestants would use stationary bikes and have to recall a number of colored blocks displayed on a video wall. This then alternates them having to walk a balance beam and place blocks in in holders either side. And then it became what we all know and love, which is the flight simulator, where contestants would have to land a plane. In the 92 and 93 finals, contestants were entrusted to land an actual physical plane. I was shocked when I was like, oh, when just from remembering it, I was like, oh, it's it's the simulator. And then it cut to the outside shots. I was like, no. <laughs> yeah. It's, yeah. It's a little less dramatic than the fact that the uh, instructor is up there with them and can take over at any point. Mm. I want them to crash and burn. <laughs> Jesus. I, I just wanted them to no help. Do what they want. If they're on a show like this, they have to do it themselves. <laughs> did, did you not think, though, that that instructor left it really late a couple of times before going, oh, I'm yeah. now in control? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just but... wanted to just get on TV because, like, I've took control. I've given <laughs> you control back. Yeah, <laughs> we'll get into a bit more, but yeah, for sure. Third round was the observation round. Contestants watch a clip and... Uh, ask basic observation questions. In some series, they were shown the clip twice and asked to find continuity errors. And in a bit of a throwback to last week's episode, Simon, uh, I was actually sent a clip on Twitter of Hinge and Bracket doing a sketch for this. So uh, fourth was physical ability. This is the famed obstacle course, which has claimed many victims through injury down the years. Broken (laughs) ankles, separated shoulders, torn ligaments. What's dignity? (laughs) plenty of that yeah there's a full list on wikipedia for you if you want to read about all the injury lists uh, that have come off it and like slight changes to the course and things you can actually do the obstacle course it's in i can't remember where it is now exactly but my sister's done it yeah yeah my sister's done it yeah you get get a nice photo and and book of it after after you've done it and things fifth the intelligence test this is the round where contestants generally have to build like a 3D model, things of that sort. This is televisually deceptive. So we see it nicely wrapped up into three minutes or so, but I'm going to read you this quote from Darren Staleybridge, who went as a audience member. He said, I once went to Granada Studios to watch Krypton Factor being produced. And you know that manual dexterity game where the contestants have a challenging puzzle to solve, usually in around two minutes? 90. Yes, 90 minutes of boredom watching the most incompetent attempt at a puzzle solving ever. Condensed down to two minutes for the telebroadcast, of course. So cameras were left running whilst contestants stumbled over themselves trying to solve puzzles. And in later years, though, they introduced a time limit. So if you didn't have it done, it was you were marked on who was closest to finishing. Um, I've read stories of contestants 
being reduced to tears because they couldn't solve it and a stagehand having to come on and show them how it's done. I mean, with with the one we're going to see today, I genuinely was like, there's no way that they've not been told how to do this because you can't do it in physically. I know this is supposed to be the best of the best of the best, but there's no chance that they did this in like two, three minutes. The probability of getting it first time is just off the scale. Yeah, and absolutely. none of them cocked up once. Each one of them got it the first time. It was just ridiculous. Yeah, and then finally you had the general knowledge round, which is what it says on the tin, buzzing to answer contestant with the highest score at the end wins. Uh, the show was done in tournament style, and, and I say that it's more like kind of World Cup tournament style. So you had groups, you had quarterfinals, semifinals, and then the grand final. So where was and- VAR? Where was VAR? <laughs> <laughs> and then your prize was just to be named the UK Super Person of the Year and get a really crappy trophy. Oh, you've got a prize. You've got prizes. Oh, were there? Yes, there was. They never advertised them, but I did a little bit of research myself. Oh. And the prizes you received were... Amazing. You got Krypton Factor branded sportswear. Nice. Beautiful. And you got Krypton Factor sponsored sports bag. Wow. You've got it all. That's what you won. You've got everything you need in life then. (laughs) I I was hoping that you get to go home with one of the jumpsuits. Yeah, much like Crystal Maze. Yeah, for sure. (laughs) Surely they took the polo shirts home. (laughs) They were their own polo shirts. They were to begin with. Yeah. In later on series, they got given them. Yeah. <laughs> but title of the show, so just a few facts. The title of the show is a reference to Superman's home planet of Krypton. If you didn't get that, then I can't help you. The title perceiving that the contestants had strong superhuman powers for taking part in the challenges they were set. I was surprised when, because I looked and was like, oh, no, why is it the Krypton factor? And I thought it might be like a, a Greek god or something like that. And when I looked and it said like, oh, yeah, it's a reference to Superman. I was like, oh, that's brilliant. It actually is a reference to Superman. Yeah. Is it just me who thinks they missed a trick there, though? Mm. Not doing it in red and blue? No, no, no. Gordon Burns dressed up as Lex Luthor. Mm. You wouldn't want He's to setting the all hair, these though. challenges. Yeah. Don't, don't shave. I mean, don't, with that hair, you don't want to shave that off and go bald. Skullcap. Oh, yeah, good school cap. <laughs> I mean, it could go like full Gene Hackman from like the original film, though, couldn't you? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Good, to be fair. And yeah. then at the end, you, you don't win a trophy, you win Lewis Lane. <laughs> the 1980, 1987 series won the prestigious Premios Ondas Spanish Television Award for Entertainment. In 1995, the show was heavily revamped, including the introduction, as we said, co-host Penny Smith. In that series, the intelligence round was dropped, first round being physical ability, with the rules in each round changed dramatically, with the exception of general knowledge. Uh, the second half of the show was a super round, which included a 3D maze, code cracking, and a race up Mount Krypton, with points accumulated being exchanged for equipment to assist the contestants with the challenge. So these are all the stupid rules that they introduced, and it was and surprise, surprise, it didn't last any longer. Do you reckon that they brought all the more physical stuff in to try and compete with gladiators? Because that would have been so. about the same time, wouldn't it? There's yeah. no doubt in my mind. Yeah. yeah. For sure. I'd, I'd probably agree with that. Critical reception to the 2009 revival was poor, with UKGameshows.com saying, it's hard to think of anything they've done differently this time where the change is an improvement. And The Guardian ultimately describing it as 
like getting back together with an ex drunkenly on New Year's Eve and then sobering up quickly and realizing why you split up in the first place. See, I did as I did watch I think it was one of the first episodes because it was it was uh, linked into the one we watched for the episode today. Mm. And it's not that different apart from a couple of cosmetic changes but the main thing that got me was during the the physical during the assault course they've now got like i'm guessing they're from the army but they're standing next to you as you go along screaming at you (laughs) to keep going and in one case one lad who was dead last and had blatantly taken in a lung full of filthy water and was trying to get himself back together they grabbed him and pulled him over uh, an obstacle even though he's blatantly, and at one point he is screaming that he wants to stop, and they Jesus. are just yelling at him. And it's like, oh, it. Some of the charm, well, some of the charm, nearly all of the charm is gone in this reboot. Yeah, yeah. Well, there is something funny about that because in they did the celebrity Krypton Factor. I think it was oh. in '92, and Sarah Green, the host of Ghostwatch back in the day, yeah, was mm. on it, and. Same, the army, because it was like an army course, they were screaming at her, you've got to do this, you've got to do this. So as she came down on the uh, zip line, she grabbed one of the, the army <laughs> men, dragged him into the river with her. <laughs> Excellent. Nice. Excellent. It was like, fair play. Fair play. Yeah, definitely, definitely. The launch episode of The Revival was watched by only half as many viewers as a repeat of Wallace and Gromit, A Matter of Loaf and Death. <laughs> Which is good. It is good. It's not. It's not the best Walton Gromit film, which just oh, says, no. which just says how people felt about the new Krypton Factor. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I don't remember it getting advertised either. No. It's. It sounds like it's one of those things that they made and they looked at it and was like, oh no. Yeah. It apparently bounced around the schedule quite a lot as well, so it was very hard to kind of pin down, even yeah. if they did advertise it. I think it was one of the things where they just filmed a lot of different game shows in the same studio because they had the studio for hire. Yeah. If you look at all the game shows around that era, you hold like the like the green fluorescent lighting and the mm-hmm. like the cube and everything like that. It, all, mm. it was all the same. It was all yeah neon. It was all in your face and and almost sterile as well. Like yeah yeah yeah. I mean, golden balls as well would have been around at that time. Yeah, well. exactly. Yeah. yeah, very similar look. The theme tune used between '86 and '93 was performed by Art of Noise, and is perhaps the program's best-known theme. The exact version of this theme tune varied in some episodes and series. For example, the drum beats in the music in some episodes were more emphasised, as the as was the synth- synthesizer <laughs> melody. Uh, but generally, it remained the same. Mistakenly referred to as Beatbox, the track which which appeared on their debut album, Who's Afraid of the Art of Noise, is in fact a composition and was reworked as Crusoe in 1987. The version of the Art of Noise theme first heard in 86 was released on a compilation album, Influence, in 2010. That was a really long sentence. <laughs> it's it's interesting. I did look it up because I was I didn't think it was by an actual band. But yeah, that initial Beatbox thing, it's, it is just a bunch of stuff and just meshed into one long track and then in the middle there's a bit that sounds a bit like the krypton factor mm-hmm. and obviously they've taken that one piece and reworked it the bit that they did for a later album that crusoe sounds nothing like it i don't know why they say it's a reworking because it doesn't sound yeah. anything like it at all yeah i agree uh, the music used during the scoring at the end of the response round in 1988 was forgotten town by the christians and in the 1989 series, Left to My Own Devices by the Pet Shop Boys was used. Nice. Always room for some Pet Shop Boys. Yeah. 
It would have been a different uh, game show if it was Go West. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> and Adrenaline in North Yorkshire markets itself as the home of the obstacle course from the TV series, which offers paying public a chance to take on the assault course. And it's been exported to New Zealand, Germany, and ill-fatedly to America, where they've attempted to launch several times with pilots, never getting broadcast. It's not extreme enough for them. Probably, yeah. If you look at some of the game shows they have across there. Mm-hmm. Um, although I kept, with, especially with the assault course on this one, just from the way it's very no frills, there's mud, there's everything, there's no safety pads for the majority yeah. of it. Yeah. I've got a very big Takeshi's Castle vibe off it. Yes. That's thing I think this would do really well in Japan. Yeah. I because it ticks a lot of their boxes. I mean, you've got Ninja Warrior in mm-hmm. America and that's probably the closest. Although there was that one that it was on Netflix for a while and you had to climb inside a giant metal dinosaur. Ultimate Beastmaster. Oh yeah. Yeah. On yeah. yeah. So, yeah, they've kind of they've kind of got their versions of it. Or the it's the American thing of oh we're not going to take the British version, we'll do our own version, mm-hmm. which is really similar, but trademarkable. <laughs> <laughs> and it's finally, it's been parodied on Armstrong and Miller show and a bit of Fry and Laurie as well. I remember the Armstrong and Miller one because there's a blooper of one of the actors trying to do the, where you put the pieces together in the, the Perspex box and he can't do it. <laughs> uh, and apparently he's even got the numbers written on the back of where they're supposed to go. And he still can't do it. <laughs> Excellent. So I mean, as far as memories go for me, like as we said, this was Monday night must watch and always want to do the flight, flight simulator and the obstacle course. So I'm very jealous of the fact that my sister has done the obstacle course. But, you know. <laughs> do you like music? Do you like podcasts? Do you like your hosts that are slightly eloquent with their words and well-spoken and articulate them in a perfect way? Then you can find two out of those three things on Pick a Disc. I'm your host Matt Latham and each fortnight a guest comes onto the podcast to talk about an album that they want to talk about for whatever reason they want to. We talk about the artists, we talk about the songs and we also talk about the album and we never talk about the artwork because I always forget. Other than that, we always talk about the good things and why people like what they like and you'll find that a lot in Pick a Disc. So find us on all your favourite podcatchers of choice and I look forward to finding out the discs that you're picking. So, let's get into it then. The episode we watched was the 1993 Grand Final. I thought it best to kind of do the final because you get the kind of best of everything and and all that kind of caper and sometimes the stakes get ramped up a bit as we saw uh, the show starts up and with the voiceover guy 13 weeks of grueling competition yeah not many shows do that now they don't go on for for that long like from what the, i remember yeah like you get like all the kind of daily itv afternoon shows but as far as like a weekly time slotted show it's i think the only thing i can think of is only connect yeah yeah, yeah, if you take take out like reality shows like X Factor and things like that, mm. then yeah, it's probably only connects is the only one. Yeah. First up, Alex Mowat, thirty-five analyst programmer from West Yorkshire, scored maximum points in response and observation, which is damned impressive. Yeah, when when these came up, I, I remember saying to you when you asked me to come on this episode and you said you picked one out was how 90s are the jobs yeah and when i can't remember which one it is i think it's the third one uh, because i i remember saying to you oh one of them's got to be a chartered surveyor yeah and then when one of them popped up as a chartered accountant i punched the air (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah, next up was Nor- Norman Kenvin, 36, a corporate leasing manager from Kent. What the hell is a corporate leasing manager? <laughs> State agent. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Wow. That's a, that's a term, isn't it? Uh, and then, yeah, here he is, Tim Richardson, 28, chartered accountant. There's always one from Oxfordshire. Came in first in observation, physical and intelligence. So he's the man to beat, it seems, by uh, I reckon in early bets. What a smug face he has. Oh, it is a bit, isn't it? Oh, it's it's a punchable face. Yeah. He's, <laughs> he's the youngest one as well, isn't he, by, uh, by some no, way? Ed, no. Ed, Eddie no. Jackson, 23. Ah. A trainee accountant from Nottingham, and he's the wild card for being highest scoring runner up. And another bloody scouser. Yeah, scouser living in Nottingham. And then here we have Gordon Burns up and just basically repeats what's already been said in the voiceover. It dawns on me, he ha- this is an easy day at the office for Gordon Burns. Mm. Either he's in voiceover or he's behind that desk and blatantly reading an auto cue, but yeah. he's so calm and smooth. Yeah. And you yeah. don't get hosts like that anymore. Yeah, I think he's too busy writing songs for his cousin. Oh, yeah. So Simon found out that Gordon Burns is related to someone. All right. Would you care to reveal? Gordon Burns' second cousin is the award-winning Ed Sheeran. No. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> so there's That's... six degrees of separation. <laughs> and I double-checked my facts, and it is 100% correct. Mm. And then we get a look at the, at the trophy, and... It looks like the London 2012 logo, if it was even worse. I, as soon as I saw it, I allowed went, what the hell is that? Yeah. It that looked is. like a normal trophy that Father Ted had like tried to knock the dent out with a hammer. <laughs> <laughs> if you if you get the episode I am referring to. Yeah. <laughs> it's a, the, the giant K, I understand, but then the weird, like, fluttery thing around it. Like, yeah. It, it was just massive. Yeah, it was just <laughs> way it, too big. It was Poundland it trophies, wasn't it? Yeah. And it's going to be uh, presented to them by Steve Redgrave, MBE. So that's no, nice. no, 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 it isn't. It's going to be by extraordinaire sportsman, Sir Stephen Redgrave. <laughs> How <laughs> many times? I've got Redgrave watch on this one because <laughs> the amount of times they mention him wound me up so much. Yeah, it, it did get to the point where it was like, what is the prize? Is it the trophy or the fact you're going to meet Steve Redgrave? <laughs> but as yeah, soon as they said, oh, it's going to be presented by Sports Make Sure I paused it and went, it's Steve Redgrave. Because from 1992 to about 1998, the only athlete Britain seemed to have was Steve Redgrave. <laughs> you did better than that, because I guess it was Ugo Egiog. <laughs> We kick things off with the mental agility and ouch, this task. So you give, as I said earlier, so you're given a phrase and you have to call back the first letter of the first word, second of the second, and so on. Like, And my brain just cannot work that quickly. No, it, it took me until the third contestant came up to get one right. Yeah. I didn't even attempt. <laughs> I knew my limits. Uh, we bring on the contestants one by one. Alex, I've just said, has Lego man hair. Yep. <laughs> there's moments throughout this episode when Alex gets something right where he pulls a face that I described as mother will be proud <laughs> yes <laughs> I couldn't think of how to how to phrase his look but yeah that's exactly it I'm not sleeping on the sofa tonight mm. <laughs> but I mean fair, fair play to him here great performance getting eight and then Norman's up and I find it ironic his last phrase was better luck next time as he only scores five <laughs> he, he was pissed 
by the end of it, he was not happy. I thought he could see, uh, I wondered if people could see the phrases at this point, because he seemed to be really focused on something. Yeah. Like he was reading. And I was like, can he see the words? Or mm. but I'm guessing not, but he was steaming by the end of it. He wasn't happy at all. No, not in the slightest. And then Tim was next. He gets seven, which a good, just a solid, confident performance from him. Mm. Eddie last up, and he looks like in that light, he looked like Sean Bean, but still age 23. Master. <laughs> but he also gets seven. And this threw me off playing for the playing for points, but then they're given a completely different score. Yeah. Like, <laughs> that I, I was, for some reason I had it in my head that they got the points that they earned from that round, no, but no. you get the 10, six, four, two, but in, and, but if you drew, you get, you're determined by speed of response. You're playing for position, like how many points you get per position, but the score you're playing for is the Krypton factor. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Which so is... they never refer to anything as points. Yeah. And then they like the scores that. out. Yeah. I love that. Cause when they read the mm. scores out, it's like, with a Krypton Factor score of 10, it's mm, yeah. from Derby, Steve Cummins, which, you know, never happened, but... No, it wouldn't. <laughs> <laughs> I'd be lucky if I scored two points all game. <laughs> uh, next up, we get the response, and yeah, this we, we've alluded to it already, but this is terrifying. Yes, they have a pilot in there with them, but to actually land a plane, and that pilot has to be, you know, the instructor has to be relatively hands-off as well, because, you know, they're scoring them on their performance. And like, so my dad has a pilot's license. Okay, like it was his like fortieth birthday present to himself, essentially. And I saw all the stuff he had to go through just to be allowed to fly solo, like yeah. let alone with an instructor. And it, like hours upon hours. And these fellas, I hope have gone through similar. But Gordon Burns reveals later on they've only had half an hour to get used to it. And none of them are phased. They're no. all fine. I'd be sweating bullets <laughs> yeah. just up there. To be fair, Steve, I know your dad. Mm-hmm. And he is one of the cleverest people I've ever met in my entire life. Oh, for sure, yeah. So the fact that he's got a pilot, which I already knew he had a pilot's license, but I don't see that phasing him one bit. No, no, no he, he's, he's never seen phase. I've been up with him a bunch of times, and like it's, it's great fun. Like, you know, it is what it is. But, like, I saw all, like, hours of him pouring over maps and textbooks and everything like just just to get in there with with an instructor so you know the fact that they're going like right you're going up now lads uh half an hour for you to get used to it and then we're gonna then we're gonna land the thing i right. thought there was a trend among them you get outside supermarkets like you put 10p and then you get to have a good <laughs> <laughs> i wanted to I, they're the only ones that i like going on i'm 34 years old <laughs> they, they were just like no i as like we said earlier, that that instructor, like one of them must have been about what six foot off the ground. He's like, I'm taking control. It's like it's uh, part of me feels the full take of that is one of the contestants go, you're going to take control now, please, yeah. please take control. <laughs> please, yeah. Oh, they've been bribed. They've been <laughs> bribed. If you fly this for me, I'll get you to meet Steve. Sorry, Sir Stephen Redgrave. <laughs> and uh, but this was something I forgot about. Like they had to alert the control tower beforehand as well which yeah is just common sense but it was something that was they were scored on and the amount of shit that must be going through their heads to remember to have to do that little thing like (laughs) just they also had to do the flaps yeah (laughs) in two positions every time that's mentioned yeah (laughs) (laughs) um so alex didn't lower the flaps or make the call decent landing but instructor had to take control at the end uh, because he was steering off course 
course it was decent landing. The bloody trainer landed it for him. <laughs> and then Norman, un- he's under the flight path, but he makes the call. Uh, the instructor has to take over as he's too low and a bumpy landing. Tim seems pretty confident. Like, of all of them, Tim seemed, definitely seemed the most confident. Slightly above the flight path, but in control. He does the flaps, makes the call, but he doesn't do the second position for flaps, but it doesn't really alter the landing in any way. So it doesn't mm. massively matter. And then Eddie, last in the cockpit, uh, above flight path, apparently. And it's also here, Gordon, as, as I said, like Gordon says, they're only given half an hour to get used to the aircraft. But Eddie makes the radio call, does the flaps. Too high coming into the runway, though, so the instructor has to take over to land. To, to be fair, though, thinking about that, they said they only have half an hour in the air. Yeah. But it doesn't mean to say they haven't done a studium for like a month. Oh, yeah, yeah, for sure, yeah. And obviously they've done the flight simulators before, so I imagine they've yeah. given that a lot. Like, I remember there were finals where they had to do like, it was still in the simulator, but they had to do like rescue missions. Mm. Yeah, yeah. And things like that. Like, they're fully, properly simulated, like, RAF rescue missions and shit like that. Like, just... I found it quite telling that this was the last year. I looked into it. This was the last year they did the actual plane. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Like it was, yeah, because I think it would have been incredibly daunting and purely a health and safety risk. I was going like, to say, there's no way you'd be able to do it now. No chance. No chance. Their health and safety manager must have whiskey on cornflakes in the morning just to <laughs> steady themselves out. Doesn't everybody? Well... <laughs> But we see the graphs, and Alex in last place, and I'm not surprised. Line of approach was good, otherwise he's all over the place. Norman was third. Again, good line of approach, but otherwise had to be bailed out by the instructor. Eddie second. Overall decent, but line of approach was pretty shonky. And Tim was in first. Line of approach also wobbly, otherwise seemed very controlled, and he gets 10 points for first place. And then it's the observation round, and I remember some of these being as panto-esque as you like mm. as far as acting quality like but this was relatively decent but i don't remember them being this short either like this was like yeah this is a thing that happened and that's it no, i was just i was literally gonna say it was short because it was the final yeah mm. i think so. that's all i was gonna say i didn't remember that they were series apparently they're all yeah. like there's a it's a full there's a couple of edits on youtube of all of them in a mcbain style <laughs> edit but yeah yeah so this is a detective story the case of the curious curios and yeah this was i've said here one odd piece of drama this was basically dodgy antiques dealer did you did you know who the antiques dealer was no i didn't recognize anyone in this i know well, who the hero was and and the sidekick but i didn't recognize antiques dealer well the antiques dealer the chief inspector fred pilkington who sounds like an next man new goalkeeper yeah does a bit he was played by Roy Barrowclough. Mm. Okay. Roy Barrowclough is more famous for his role in one of the longest-running soaps of all time, Coronation Street, mm. as Alec Gilroy, owner mm. of the Rover's Return. Oh, well, there you go. Bet Alec. <laughs> exactly, yeah. It was uh, Alec Gilroy. Yeah, and he was uh, Les Dawson's comedy partner for a long time as well, he wasn't was. he? He was. He was. I'm none the wiser, but <laughs> but the questions they get on these clips, like no wonder they're in the final, and I'm not. Like these are the type of people I'd want to be a witness to a crime, like just be able to. I I wouldn't because you won't be able to read them. They're just sat there, like <laughs> they just won't be able to do anything. But like even just recalling simple things, like how a person was described and said, like, and how was the thief described, like, and things like this, like. 
it was it was when it was like some of them I was like yeah I can see them looking for that but then when it got to like how many black and white photos were there in the thing you're like oh god right okay yeah and it was when they were asked to like recall quotes that are just so passed by quotes like as I said, like oh how was the thief described like it was just a sent in a sentence in the middle of a sentence hot and like, sexy. <laughs> I don't remember what it was now, but it, it was this. It was this kind of round where I thought that after the show, the winner would someone would come up to the winner in like the green room and go, "Have you ever thought about joining MI5?" Yeah, like this is what I'm saying. Like these are the kind of people I'd want in a courtroom setting. Like more likely thing was, will you come and do my accounts for me? <laughs> that was a more likely scenario. <laughs> The one thing I did love about this afterwards was how Gordon Burns is is amazed about how he can get the results of the test so quickly. And we don't have to wait for the result of that test because the computer linked to the keypads displays it immediately and here's how it all worked out. On the magic computer. Yeah. <laughs> Alex, Tim and Eddie only got three and Norman is first purely because he got four. And the leaderboard going into the physical ability is Tim on 20, Eddie and Norman on 16 and Alex with 14. So then we have the infamous obstacle course and two of the contestants are unbeaten in said obstacle course. So that should stoke an extra fire in them to kind of get it won. So I have a problem with the assault courses in the past. Yeah. They always, like, I'm going to sound like a douche here, but they always like gave head starts. It's like the women. Yeah. Which is fair enough, but there was no lateral thinking behind the advantages. Like one, one girl would go, first then another girl go like 10 seconds after her and they'd be like almost like 30 seconds before the men went but there was no justification of why there was the i read something it was about physical ability and age as well was a factor right okay so i said i I watched one of the reboot ones and they all went at the same time yeah because i noticed on this that they're all guys there was no women in the final but this this one they because it was it was three guys and they were all even in the most recent one they were all like you know I'm an accountant I'm this I'm the other, and the the one female contestant was a hurdler, <laughs> so right? She, she was hundred meter hurdler, and uh, yeah, and she was just it, rubbed him. Was it Sally Gunnell? <laughs> it wasn't <laughs> shame, but Eddie absolutely smashes this. But, however, my highlight was Norman Penguin sliding into the switchback. <laughs> he just fully just let himself kamikaze in. You know what the worst bit of that assault course is? Mm. It's the S-Bend. The S-Bend, yeah. Jesus Christ, you've got to be a contortionist to get through that. Uh, it's not that. You've got to be stick thin. Yeah. <laughs> uh, part of me thought you could, if you mic'd the contestants going down that thing, you just hear it's like, duh, duh, duh. I'm okay, I'm all right. But... <laughs> and... <laughs> Oh no, Eddie missed the rope for the swing. How does that even happen? It was spectacular, wasn't it? <laughs> I'm wanting the blooper where they missed the uh, the zip line. Oh yeah, for sure. Someone I mean, everyone, everyone wanted to go on the zip line, didn't they? Yeah, yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. I, I thought the the big thing for this was Alex, who is so far back that they <laughs> rarely cut to him. Mm-hmm. And Gordon is just giving out to him. <laughs> he, he would make a brilliant commentator for like Formula One or something like that. Yeah, he knows he's going to finish last. Yeah, he said, well, "I think they're only about a third of the way across the course." And Gordon says, "Alex has resigned himself to coming in fourth. It's like we don't know that. <laughs> they could all spontaneously combust, and he might win. So but... you you don't cut back to him. So we can't really see how far back he is. But we don't know that he's just. For all we know, he's just sat down at the start line and gone. No, nah, not today. It's, <laughs> it's also the very first thing that the film." In a yeah. competition, 
they filmed this like maybe a couple of weeks before they start the studio shows. Yeah. Because in previous in past instances, like you'll see contestants with like a pot on the leg or mm-hmm. arm bandaged or something like yeah. that because they injured themselves in the assault course. Yeah. But Tim's rolled ahead, but everyone tripping over at the cargo net as they're coming down. Like they're all getting caught up and everything. It's just like, didn't one of them face plant as well on yes. like this on oh, the they, uh up and over. Yeah, yeah. They tackled themselves, yeah. <laughs> the the other thing I noticed was when they got to the zip line. I'm sure the guy, I'm trying to remember properly now. I'm sure that one of them would have gone in first place if the person attaching the zip line wouldn't stop farting about. Yeah. Yeah. It was Norman. Norman was catching up on Tim. It was the same thing I have with gladiators when they're doing the zip line, though. It all depends on who's putting the zip line on you at the time. Yeah. Yeah. I watched a few Kids and Factors the other night when I was doing my research for this. And um, there was one instant where. A contestant actually got disqualified because they didn't land correctly in the um, in the water. In the water, yeah. And they zip down, down. They didn't place both their feet in the water to slow them down. They only placed one foot, and the army disqualified them. That's so strange. Like it's, That's, I mean, because some of them were like legs up and landing in like the sitting down, weren't they? Almost. Yeah. But, yeah. And then one of them landed like legs out, almost like they were. <laughs> Their, their master strategy was to plough themselves into the earth. <laughs> Where they keep going. Yeah, yeah. and that, that, all I can think of is that looked really painful. Mm-hmm. They sort of like go as straight as an arrow and then just plough into the ground. Yeah. <laughs> but it finishes Tim first, Eddie, Norman and Alex. I'll put the full clip on the socials just because this is quite a fun race to watch. Uh, and then next up is the intelligence, the painful one. Like, I think this probably causes more stress and discomfort than the obstacle course and the flying put together. <laughs> and this just looks, as we said earlier, this just looks like pure hell on earth to put together. In front of each grand finalist are six long clear tubes and 12 short ones. Their task is to slot the tubes into the frame provided to form a connected path from the top Krypton K to the bottom K. On completion, the red ball will run from the top compartment to the lower one. And the the fact that none of them, we don't see any of them do it, and it cocks up. Yeah, they, it's they all, all perfect. do it first, but they'll do it first go. But it takes some of them slightly longer. Is bizarre. Yeah. And when until you mentioned it earlier on, didn't think anything of it. Which is the joy of editing these editing TV. It's like, yeah, of course they all got it first time. It must be kind of easy. No, no, Before... no chance. Before this round, though, I was starting to get a really big problem with Tim. Yeah. Because when they did the score, because they, they revealed the scores after every round. Mm-hmm. And ev- he was in the lead. Spoiler alert, he was in the lead. And they announced with a Krypton factor of 26, it's the, I don't know, whatever he was, can't remember. Mm-hmm. And you'd sit back and it'll go like, <sighs> do like a little, like, <laughs> like a little, I can't believe I'm winning. <laughs> and I was just like, like a little breath to himself and a little like, <sighs> Get lost. <laughs> yeah, there was there was some definite kind of alpha male stuff coming off of yeah coming off of Tim. Of course, yeah. look at the size like the size of his trousers. They were like up to his nips almost. It was ridiculous. <laughs> but Alex finished first in this one, so clearly the actual physical challenges aren't his forte. Norman second, Eddie third, and Tim, the current leader, is a DNF. Yeah, Alex looked so happy when he finished. <laughs> yeah. Stands next to it, hands behind his back. Yes. Huge Proud. grin. Proud as he you had, like. He had resigned himself to winning that task. <laughs> yeah. 
So going into the final general knowledge round, Tim leads on 32, everyone else on 26. (laughs) (laughs) And this thing with the general knowledge, like Eddie was doing so well and actually mounted a good chase. Like, but he got like one wrong, which actually makes you lose two points. Mm. And he just, I think he got two wrong because he got a bit keen. What, what really got me on this was the amount of times like Eddie or Tim would like interrupt the question, but know exactly what's coming. Yeah. A couple of those questions seemed like they could have gone a couple of ways, but they were just like, oh yeah, it's this. And it's like, fucking, like, fuck me, like, you know. I, I couldn't take the general knowledge round seriously. How so? Because, well, I was just expecting to break out going, mamma mia, mamma mia, mamma mia, Figaro. <laughs> because it looked like Bohemian Rhapsody from Queen. <laughs> it does a bit. But, I mean, it's great, like, staging, though, the way they can have them lined up like that and a single spot just on their heads. They're just, like, floating heads as well. As as someone that's that's worked with, like, broadcasting equipment and has worked in a, a, what's it, a balcony room production office thing and done all that, I know that that was somebody gone up to the the producers and gone, we can do this thing with the mixing desk. Is there anything we can do with it? And they've gone, oh, yes. <laughs> See, what I think would have been better is just like, like you still when you're around the campfire, just all the torture like, over your face. <laughs> when you're telling, like, telling ghost stories. Lights. Yeah, like ghost stories. But they have to sit there with it, with like coloured lights. So like one's green, one's blue for the person. That, when we remake it, that's what we're having. <laughs> Did you ever have any of those torches where you could, where it had like the different filters on and you could flick between them? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I think so, yeah. Jesus, that is Sorry, that just randomly flashed into my head from my childhood. Christ. Hey, flashed. (laughs) Steady on. (laughs) But yeah, Tim wins the game with 40 points, and here he comes, Steve Redgrave. Who? Sir Sir Stephen Redgrave, MBA. of our generation. (laughs) Uh, uh, You know how many times? I might as well give it now. Right, go on, yeah, yeah, yeah. Redgrave watch. Redgrave watch. How many times do you think they mentioned him? Eight. At least half a dozen, yeah. Well, Steve's been reading my notes because it was eight and eight. <laughs> eight. Eight times. <laughs> Jesus. Eight times in a 25-minute show. What was how, it, the Steve uh, Redgrave how, factor? How many Redgrave must have been really excited to meet Steve Redgrave. <laughs> how many Redgrave per minute? I was more excited to see the poet on Universal Challenge than I was to Stephen Redgrave. And I had no idea who that bloody was. <laughs> but, yeah, Sorry, I comes... just hit a nerve there. <laughs> but here he comes to present the trophy, and Tim just gets a pat on the shoulder from Gordon. <laughs> it was so oh. anticlimactic. <laughs> yeah. like, and now can you present the trophy to Tim? No like music, no round of applause. It's just Steve Redgrave going, yeah, Tim. I mean, <laughs> the, the charisma on that TV screen at that point was just um, <laughs> off the chart. I mean, so Stephen, what do you think about Tim winning? Oh, yes, he led from the second round and uh, did very well. As they all did. I saved it. it. (laughs) He really did save it. It was a a lovely blazer as well, has to be said. Oh, it was a smashing blazer. (laughs) It's a smashing blouse. (laughs) But but that's it. Uh, It's a trophy. Handshakes all around and we're out. Uh, This is 100% as good as I remember. Like it did get tense towards the end as well. Like if Eddie hadn't missed the rope on the obstacle course, like what might have happened? So so many what ifs. Very enjoyable all round. Eddie's probably in a pub somewhere, just saying that exact same thing, grumbling, getting to a point. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> Everyone who has tattoos has a story behind each and every tattoo that they have. It could be a simple picket and stick it from a convention that they went to, or an homage to their favourite artist, or something to represent the year that they were born. Something relatively simple that can be explained in a few words. It could be something deeply meaningful to them. It could be something daft. My name is Mark Adams and I am the host of Ink Stories. And I love the idea of talking to people about the stories behind their tattoos. It's a podcast about the reasons why people choose to permanently etch artwork onto their skin. On each episode, I'm going to have a different guest and they'll choose one of their tattoos and tell me the story behind it. Everyone gets the same questions, but their answers will always be as unique as the tattoo that they have chosen. So join me as I take a journey with various different people from all over the world to tell me their ink stories. But uh, I mean, as far as revivals go, I think we've moved on from this level of show as a nation, I think. Like the, they tried to revive it in 2009, 2010 to minimal success. But maybe if it was part of like a Saturday night takeaway or some sort of special, but not as deep and in, on, on an intelligence level as this gets. Didn't they get Gordon Burns to be like the announcer for Saturday night takeaway for a while? I think so, probably. Yeah. I'm going to throw something out here. Go on. Sports relief. Mm. Great, That's great really call. Good. Great yeah. call. Ex, ex professional athlete. I mean, you still do all the like. Obviously, the physical challenge would be the money maker, but you still have them do the other rounds as well. Yeah, retired sportsmen, people like that. You get yeah. Steve Redgrave. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, look, I'm going to put it out there as well. I'm a Matthew Pinsent guy. Mm. Fair right? enough. Yeah, I think he carried that team. I'll be mm. honest. But he wasn't the one on the shampoo commercials, though, was he? No, but he, but he should have been, Steve. He should have been. They should have had a boat race to win it. Like Edge and Bucketeer at WrestleMania 18. It was weird, though, that the um, I looked at it because he's, he's the fourth most decorated Olympian Britain's ever had. But the other three that are above him are all cyclists. Yeah. Which, looking at it, made me think it's really easy to win multiple medals in <laughs> cycling. Well, while we're at it, I might as well uh, announce my entry into the 2024 Olympic Games. <laughs> at this rate, they'll be taking place in 2028. Yeah. Oh, what was that joke I saw in Mock the Week? It's like, oh, it's 2024. Welcome to the Japanese 2020 Olympic Games. Yeah, pretty much, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh, dear me. But, so that was Krypton Factor. Next week, we're going to have something a bit different as me and Simon take your questions for an ask me anything slash getting to know you episode and we're just going to talk about our lives self-indulge a little bit I mean that's pretty much what this whole thing has been since day one but you know um, for you Steve I just wanted to, I just wanted an informative podcast <laughs> but in the meantime to all you wonderful people listening please check out our link tree for links to our, all our social medias all the podcast players you can find us on my guest appearances and even our youtube playlist where we've put up all the shows we've covered so far at linktr.ee forward slash player pods and if podcast player allows why not leave us a little rating and review and if you like what we're doing tell a friend as word of mouth is still the best marketing tool going and i want to thank carl for stopping by please plug anything and everything you're involved in mate Oh, go on then. Um, I'm, as I say, you mentioned at the top, I'm on Cerebral Jukebox, uh, which talks about songs that get stuck in people's heads. And I'm also on 
Shipwrecked and Cobertos, the Red Dwarf podcast, where we go through every episode of of Red Dwarf from the beginning. We've just made it to season series four. Four, yeah, we just got hit hit series four, uh, and millions of specials because Mark finds reasons to do specials all the time. Uh, and we're going to be doing—I don't know if they've publicly announced it yet—but ah, why not? Uh, we're going to be doing a new show called "Did You Ever Watch," where we look back at shows that only either last like one or two seasons that don't get that much credit. And the first series is going to be Ultraviolet, the vampire British drama thing that was on Channel 4. Oh. Uh, So we're recording that this week. Uh, I'm not sure when it's coming out, but it will be coming out soon. And if I get my way, I'm going to be doing things like Urban Gothic and uh, Thundercats. (laughs) Excellent. Urban Gothic was amazing. And Thundercats was just incredible. That goes without saying. Yeah, like then then reboot was terrible though. I'm just I'm just pointing it out. This there. will be the one I'm doing though. I'm doing the 2011 oh. reboot. I'm not doing the Cartoon Network reboot that came out recently. Well, I don't even think it made it to air because it got such a negative reaction. Oh dear, oh dear, oh dear. But that, so yeah, and you can find that all on Carl's All My Links, which is allmylinks.com forward slash Mr. Carl, not the abbreviated version M I S T E R. There you go. I've done it for you, mate. <laughs> Say it exactly like I do. <laughs> but until next week it's a goodbye from me steve it's a goodbye from simon didn't they do well thank you everyone peace and good cheer this has been play your pods right hosted by stephen cummins and simon gilroy produced and edited by stephen cummins our logo was designed by luke burton of jailhouse designs find him on instagram at jailhouse designs x all copyright material used in this episode has been for review and parody reasons. Please support any artists featured by buying and streaming their music. Intro and outro music is The Winner by Colin Thompson. Eight times!